0: A few years ago, when I was preaching in the U.S. East Coast, I received an urgent phone call from one of my friends in Texas. She told me that her sister, traveling alone and her first time to the Philippines, had just landed in Manila in the early morning. She had suffered a medical condition and was disoriented and didn't know where she was and wanted to know if I could help, thinking I was in the Philippines. You see, her parents and her siblings in Texas had received a short cryptic phone call from their daughter that she was released from the airport after a medical episode and was now in some strange motel, and there was a guy named Lito in the room with her. The family was worried because they could not get any more details from her. She was disoriented and was slurring her words. I told them I was in the U.S., and it was 3 a.m. in the morning in the Philippines. In my mind... I began to think of the worst. Horrible things can happen to a young single woman with blonde hair and blue eyes, all alone in an unknown motel with a strange man she didn't know in a city of over 18 million people. I immediately sent a message to some of our deacons, taking a chance to see who would be awake in the wee hours of the morning. And a few responded at once. And at 4.30 in the morning, two deacons rushed in the general direction of Rojas Boulevard, to look for this young woman whom they didn't know in a motel they didn't know. By a miracle, they found her in a sketchy motel, and praise the Lord, she was unhurt, safe, and okay. One of our deacons and his wife opened their home to let this young lady, a stranger to them, stay in their house for a week, feed her, and nurse her back to health. This young lady's life was dramatically changed. Years later, whenever I meet this young woman's family in Texas, they're always so appreciative and thankful for our church's outpouring of love and hospitality to a stranger. The reason I share this story is because we always pray that adversities would not be a part of our lives. We get angry at God when things don't go as planned or bad things happen. And we find it hard to see God at work in these challenging times, but He is always at work caring for us, even when we don't understand what He's doing and why He allows certain things to happen. Imagine, you can't tell me it was not God at work to allow this young lady in Metro Manila to be found so quickly safe and unhurt, only knowing she was in one of the hundreds of motels somewhere near the airport. As we continue our sermon series, Voyager, studying the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, as recorded in the book of Acts, Let's take a look at some biblical principles that govern how we are to think about adversities and trials in our lives if you have your bibles please turn with me to acts chapter 16 as we take a look at verses 16 to 40. acts chapter 16 verses 16 to 40. while you're turning to these verses remember that paul is on a second missionary journey with silas in asia minor when he received his so-called macedonian call to bring the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ to Europe and specifically to Greece. Paul and Silas sailed from Troas in Asia Minor to Neapolis, an ancient port city in Greece. And from there, Paul and his team made their way to Philippi, where they met Lydia, who came to know Jesus. And she became the first Christian convert in Europe. This is where we pick up our story in verse 16. Now, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. The Bible tells us in Philippi, Paul met a demon-possessed slave girl who seemingly had the power of knowing the future through the power of a demon. Now, we know that demons do have limited powers, but they do not have the power to know the future. In fact, the Bible is clear. Only God alone can know the future. And you can read Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. That means that demons, while seemingly can know the future, in reality can only speculate or make an educated guess about someone's future with their limited knowledge. Of course, their speculations about our futures are seemingly true or accurate because they've been observing us and, in fact, all people all of our lives, and they see us from a third-party perspective. They know what we're all doing. They know what we're watching and reading on our devices and computers. They overhear ours and others' conversations. They even see things done in secret. And they can see what you and I can't, so they may seem to predict our future, but they are only able to make seemingly accurate guesses about the futures through our past and present actions. They cannot know the future. You see, humans are quite predictable. Anyhow, the people of Philippi thought this possessed slave girl had the power of seeing into the future and earned quite a profit for her masters by fortune-telling. Now look what this girl does, verses 17 and 18. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. It's interesting to note that even the demon-possessed girl acknowledged the Most High God, the one and only living God. You see, Satan and his devils know the truth they know the truth about Jesus. They just want to twist the truth, so they add a bit of untruth to the truth. And if you and I aren't discerning, we are deceived. Apparently, this girl liked to announce Paul and his group to the people of Philippi, most likely gathering a crowd. But Paul didn't want to be associated with her because of the demon inside her. He got annoyed, the Bible tells us. You see, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 reminds us what communion has light with darkness? Paul did not want to be associated with her, and if the people think that his message and his words about Jesus Christ were even remotely related to this demon-possessed girl who was involved in the dark arts. So Paul cast the demon out in Jesus' name, and through Jesus' power and authority, the demon left her, and with it, the slave girl's supposed powers predict the future now look what happens to paul and silas in verses 19 and 20. but when our masters saw that their hope of profit was gone they seized paul and silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities and they brought them to the magistrates and said these men being jews exceedingly trouble our city the bible tells us seeing that their source of profit from this slave girl was instantly gone Her masters had Paul and Silas dragged away to the local authorities. You can see how these masters did not care for the girl. They only saw in her an object to generate income. And for this ridiculous reason of losing income, even though the girl was saved, they began their persecution of Paul and Silas. This shows that persecution for our Christian faith often comes for the most illogical of reasons that make no sense. For example, this generation celebrates diversity of thought and the freedom to practice your religion as you see fit, except if your worldview is Christian and you follow Christ. Well, when brought before the local authorities, the masters lied about what Paul and Silas were doing and misrepresented the good they did, which is how persecution comes to Christians even today. You see, people misrepresent Christianity all the time and simply say things that are untrue about our faith. So, for example, about the Bible, they say these untrue things. The Bible is full of contradictions and discrepancies. The Bible is full of violence, genocide, prejudice, and injustice seemingly commanded by God. The Bible's description of nature and natural history are hopelessly at odds with science the bible was written by ancient and primitive people and has no value to modern people today and if you don't do your own research you fall into the trap of believing these lies about the bible look how else paul and silas were persecuted verse 21 and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being romans to receive or observe These masters accused Paul and Silas of teaching things that were not only unlawful, but contradictory, inconsistent, and incompatible with the prevailing culture. My friends, nothing has changed because that is what is happening today, as those opposed to Christianity often pit followers of Jesus Christ against the prevailing culture, showing that Christianity is wrong because it is incompatible with the world's culture. So, for example, what do we do with the teaching of the Bible that sex outside of marriage is wrong, and yet our culture embraces the value of sexual freedom and casual sex? Or what do we do when the teaching of the Bible is that only those who embrace Jesus alone are saved, and yet we live in a culture that celebrates a pluralistic view of religion and faith? I like how Dan Franklin writes about this tension— The truth is that the Bible has always confronted culture. The Bible's not anti-culture. But God's teachings through Scripture are meant to confront every one of us and to call us to a new way of thinking, experiencing, and living. The goal was never to make us comfortable with its teachings. The goal was to set our assumptions up against what God says and then to let us decide if we will embrace our cultural values or God's revealed values. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so the question before all of us is this. Will we allow the Bible to rebuke us? Will we allow God, through Scripture, to correct us? When we elevate our cultural values above the straightforward teachings of Scripture— It is a way of us saying to God, I will adopt what you say only whenever you agree with what I already think. However, when we allow Scripture to rebuke us, we say to God, I trust that you are wiser than I am, and I will willingly embrace a message that seems foolish to many because I believe that your wisdom will be vindicated in the end. Now let's read verses 22 to 24 to see how Paul and Silas' persecution continued. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. The Bible tells us, hearing the lies that Paul and Silas stirred up trouble in the city and teaching things contrary to Roman culture, the local authorities had Paul and Silas beaten and thrown into jail as if they were the worst of criminals, and they had their feet immobilized in the stocks as if they were a flight risk. Again, my friends, it is no different today. Physical beatings and unjust imprisonments are part of the persecution followers of Jesus suffer in many parts of the world. And even though we may not experience it in our country, it doesn't mean it doesn't happen or won't happen. I recently read a report from Open Door Ministries about persecution in Vietnam. Three tribal Christians who serve as church leaders in Vietnam have been falsely arrested in a region which is a hotspot for persecution. Hung, Long, and Viet who are siblings, also saw their homes destroyed, their animals taken away, and their harvest confiscated by police. According to authorities, the Christians who belong to the Hmong tribe in central Vietnam were arrested because they allegedly stole rice from other families in the village. Perhaps this was the reason given by the police, so they have a valid reason to kick out the brothers from the community, said Isaac, an open door's local partner. It would be very difficult and sensitive to convict them if they say it is because of religious reasons. It is very sad, he added. A few days ago, after these families harvested rice and corn from their farms, the local police and village chief came and confiscated their harvest. They also destroyed their shelters. Isaac shared that the area has been a hotspot of persecution for Christians in recent years. Anyone who believes in God is beaten. Their houses demolished, and they are kicked out of the village by the local authorities, he said. The local authorities posted an announcement in their office that they do not allow villagers to have any religion other than animism and Buddhism. In May, the three Christians had been taken to the police station and forced to renounce their faith. They were told that if they did not obey their land and animals would be taken away from them and they would be kicked out of the village. But the three men bravely stood firm in their faith and were released. But they have now been rearrested and are being held in prison cells. The village chief and villagers have also banned the families from buying or selling any of their produce. They have announced to the whole village that anyone who meets the families will be kicked out. The authorities have also stopped the children from attending school. The families have suffered a lot, Isaac continues. Previously, they were beaten. Their electricity and water source were cut off. Their harvest of rice, their livestock like buffaloes, pigs, and chickens, and everything that belonged to them were confiscated. Put yourself in the shoes of these three brothers and tell me, if you would still proclaim you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if threatened with beatings, inability to do business, and losing your home and possessions. My friends, that is the real cost of following Jesus in many parts of the world. Can we bear the cost? Can we bear the cost? And yet for us, living in this free country, oftentimes we can't even endure people not liking us so we shun away from sharing our faith as Christ followers. It makes me wonder how deep is our faith and commitment to Jesus Christ. You see, from Paul and Silas' experience, we have our first biblical principle, biblical principle number one. Persecution and suffering will come to followers of Jesus Christ. Persecution and suffering will come to followers of Jesus Christ. My friends, you and I should not be surprised if we are persecuted for our faith in Jesus. In fact, we should expect it, the Bible tells us. Now let's see what Paul and Silas do while in prison, verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I love Paul and Silas' attitude while in prison. They were praying and singing songs to God. They really didn't care how loud or perhaps how out of tune they were. They praised God. And it was probably so unusual for two imprisoned men to be so joyful that the Bible tells us all the prisoners were listening to them and what they were speaking. In such a difficult situation, the joy of the Lord still marked their lives. Why and how? For a few reasons, I believe. First, because Jesus Christ lived in their hearts. To know that the living Son of God journeys with us even through the most difficult of times should bring a smile to our face and joy to our hearts. Remember that children's song where the chorus goes? With Christ in my vessel, I can smile at the storm, smile at the storm. It's really true. We can face any hardship knowing Christ is standing with us. A second reason they would have been joyful is because their conscience was clear. They knew they didn't do what they had been accused of, and they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. A third reason I believe Paul and Silas were so joyful is because they had a purpose in life, and that purpose was clear, to glorify God through the spreading of the gospel. That's why even while chained up in prison, they were able to pray, sing, and testify about the Savior they believed in and wanted to share with others. I'm sure Paul was probably excited for every prison guard shift change, for him to have new people to share the gospel with while imprisoned. And the fourth reason is because they look beyond the current trials, their imprisonment, to the spiritual rewards and eternal life that awaited them. You see, my friends, having an eternal heavenly mindset, knowing and trusting that God will vindicate, bring justice, and reward the faithful— or bring joy to anyone who is suffering in this life. What does James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 tell us? James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Count it all joy when you fall into trials. From Paul and Silas's prison attitude, we get our second biblical principle. Biblical principle number two. Followers of Jesus can be joyful while undergoing trials. Followers of Jesus can be joyful when undergoing trials. It's not that you have to like trials or like suffering. No one does. But it is the understanding the joy of your life doesn't come because of circumstances. The joy of your life isn't defined by what you're going through. The joy of your life comes From your relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember the wonderful fourth verse to the children's song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart? It goes something like this I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depth of my heart. Where? Down in the depths of my heart. Where? Down in the depths of my heart. I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart. Where? down in the depths of my heart to stay. My friends, the joy of our lives comes from the very depth of our hearts knowing that we have Jesus to journey through the hardships of life with. Perhaps you've seen this viral video of a man, let's call him Joe, who does an experiment by dressing up as a homeless man and telling people he's hungry and asking people in pizza restaurants for a slice of pizza from their big pizza pie. The video shows Joe getting rejected every time, people refusing to give him even a small slice of pizza. However, then Joe gets his friends to deliver a real homeless guy a big box of pizza who joyfully receives it and eats it. A few minutes later, Joe, dressed as a homeless man, walks up and asks the real homeless man for a piece of pizza. The homeless guy says, "'Sure, have a piece,' and shares a slice with Joe. This social experiment showed that oftentimes, when you are the recipient of grace and mercy and generosity, which all of us are, and we recognize it, then we naturally extend grace, mercy, and love, and generosity to others in joy. Again, joy is not circumstance or situation-based It comes from the depth of your heart, knowing you and I are recipients of God's grace and mercy, and we are in a relationship with a loving Lord who is always with us, whatever the adversity. How can we not be joyful at all times? Now look with me at verses 26 and 27 to see what happens next. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. The Bible tells us there was an earthquake which caused all the doors to be opened and the chains that tied the prisoners' feet to be loosed. I'm not sure any normal earthquake can do this, but this one did. Perhaps this was a supernatural earthquake from the Lord that caused all the prison doors to be opened and all the chains to be loosed. The Bible tells us in verse 27 that when the jailer saw what had happened, he assumed that all the prisoners had escaped and he was ready to kill himself as Roman law dictated that he was accountable for any prisoners that escaped. Look at verse 28, but Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Paul saw what the Philippian jailer was about to do and called out to him to inform him that all the prisoners were still in jail and accounted for, which to me is another amazing thing. Of course, we would assume that Paul and Silas would have stayed if only to do the right thing. But for no other prisoner to flee is another miracle. If I was one of those prisoners, I would have fled and be out of there. This earthquake had freed me. Now, what would have caused all the prisoners to stick around when they had assured freedom? We can't be sure, but I wonder if perhaps the prayers and hymns tinged with the gospel message spoken and sung by Paul and Silas did the work of conviction in the lives of the fellow prisoners and they were convinced that they were deserving of prison and sticking around was the right thing to do. Because, my friends, remember, part of the gospel message is to remind all of us that we are all sinners, all deserving of eternal death and separation from God. Only through Christ's death, by God's grace, are we sinners saved. Whatever the case, everyone with an opportunity to escape did not. Now look what the jailer does in verses 29 to 32. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. This jailer, deeply moved, came before Paul and Silas and asked how he could be saved. What would have prompted this man to do something like this? I'm sure he would have known about what happened to the demon-possessed slave girl as it would have been the talk of the town and the reason for Paul and Silas in his jail. He, like the other prisoners, would have heard their prayers and singing. And now with this unique earthquake that opened doors and loosened chains and no man leaving, this jailer perhaps realized that something was different about these men and their message had truth. This is why I believe this jailer asked Paul and Silas how to be saved. To which Paul responded with a clear, simple imparting of the gospel message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the jailer believed. My friends, there is nothing we have to do to earn salvation. The Apostle Paul said, it is by faith alone in Jesus Christ who died for us, not by our good works. And this salvation is available to anyone. Because of what transpired, Paul and Silas were able to share the gospel message to each member of the jailer's family, and they too were saved. I want us to think about something. If Paul and Silas were not thrown into jail, do you think they would have been able to share the gospel to the jailer and his family? Highly unlikely. But in God's sovereign plan, he put Paul and Silas in this difficult situation so that they could share Jesus with them. And this is our third biblical principle, biblical principle number three. Adversities often put us in unique situations where we can share Jesus. Adversities often put us in unique situations where we can share Jesus. Sometimes we may wonder why God puts us in unique and weird situations, in places and circumstances we didn't choose to be in, to go through hardships and adversities. But perhaps we can remember that it's to give us an opportunity to introduce to us people we can share Jesus with. My friends, do you believe that every person God puts you into contact with every day is an opportunity to share Jesus? As many of you know, I was in Indonesia these past few weeks to speak. At the beginning of the year, I had no plans to go to Indonesia, but I got an urgent call mid-January from a pastor there asking if I can come speak mid-February. And he was honest with me for why the short notice, because their original speaker from the U.S. and his team were not able to make it, so I was choice number two, plan B. Now, I could have been prideful and said, I'm sorry, I can't make it, I can't go, because I'm thinking I'm the backup speaker, the plan B. In fact, I already had two other speaking engagements that I had committed to during those dates but he was desperate and pleaded if I could at least try to come. You see, early in my ministry, I had committed to God that if I ever have an opportunity to share the gospel and my schedule allowed for it, then I would try my best to accept it or to make it. And so I tried to adjust my schedule to accommodate this last-minute request. The churches for my two speaking engagements here in Manila were happily willing to reschedule my speaking dates so that I could go help this Indonesian ministry. And so I went. After preaching and speaking through the work of the Holy Spirit, many placed their trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. At the last meal, before I came back to the Philippines, a sort of appreciation meal, I was with a pastor who invited me and another pastor. The pastor who invited me recounted the story of how he invited me last minute and how the plan B turned out so well as I was able to connect with the audience because of my Asian Western cultural background, life experiences, and preaching style. To which the other pastor corrected him, friend, there are no plan Bs in God's sovereign design. God wanted Pastor Stephen here to share the gospel. He was God's plan A all along. I simply said, amen. Paul and Silas were not in jail by accident. God sovereignly placed them there in a difficult situation to share Jesus with the jailer and his family. My friends, when you go through challenging times and are put in unique situations, instead of wallowing in your sorrows, look around to see whom you can share the gospel with. Now look with me at verses 33 to 34. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Now before we exposit these verses, can I note something about baptism? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and not yet baptized, I want to encourage you to be baptized because it is one of two ordinances that Jesus Christ specifically commands his followers to do. And if you have any questions about getting baptized, we would love to talk to you about that. Baptism is the act by which you publicly identify with Jesus Christ. Lydia, earlier in the chapter, and the Philippian jailer were so excited with their personal life transformation in Christ that they wanted to be immediately baptized, to be identified with Christ. So what are you waiting for if you are a Christian but not yet baptized? Now back to the story. What you have happening is something truly amazing. The jailer washed the wounds of Paul and Silas, doing something for prisoners that most jailers would never do. As they say, everyone in prison thinks they're innocent, and jailers and guards are told not to be soft-hearted or emotionally connected to the prisoners. And so this jailer would have been hardened of heart by the many prisoners he guarded. But somehow his heart was softened, and this jailer saw Paul and Silas as innocent and tended to their wounds. He even gave them food to eat and rejoiced with them. Why was he rejoicing? Not because the prisoners had not escaped, but because he believed in God, and so did his entire household. He rejoiced because he found salvation in Jesus Christ, something all of us should celebrate. My friends, when we go through trials like what Paul and Silas went through, people we don't expect come to our aid and help us. I mean, would you have thought of a jailer tending the wounds of his prisoners in his house and throwing a party for them without a second thought? It would have never crossed my mind. But yet it happened. It happened. Paul and Silas experienced God's grace through others, of all people, through their jailer. Similarly, the jailer experienced grace through the actions of the prisoners not leaving, and Paul and Silas sharing the gospel to him and his family. Imagine being shown grace by your prisoners. And through these examples, we can extrapolate our fourth biblical principle. Biblical principle number four, hardships allow us to experience God's grace through others. Undergoing hardships allow us to experience God's grace through others. My friends, when we go through difficult times, we come to that point of our lives when we realize we need God and we need others. And while we may be very undeserving of it, God's love, mercy, and grace are seen often through the kindness and unexpected care of others. Many of you know that my favorite soda is Dr. Pepper, and many years ago, before s and Landers carried them in cases, they were hard to find here in the Philippines. I had to get them at the duty-free or specialty stores, so a can of Dr. Pepper soda was a real treasure to me, which I reserved for special days of celebration. I remember a few years ago, I only had one can left in my refrigerator, and I'd saved it. For a special occasion when an American missionary from Texas serving in a very difficult country in Asia came to my house. He told me of all of the hardships of ministry life, and I sympathized with him. Well, I wanted to bless him, so I asked him what he missed most from Texas to see if I could get it for him. And he said, you know, Stephen, I would love to taste a cold Dr. Pepper again. I knew I had only one can left in my ref but I had a lot of Coke cans. And I said, wouldn't you like a Coke instead? He said, I can get a Coke anywhere, even in my country, but I would love a Dr. Pepper, which I can't find anywhere. What do you think I did? Well, I was convicted to show him some love and grace, to bless him for all the hardships for the Lord he had endured. And I said to him, you know, I just happen to have a can of Dr. Pepper and I gave him my last can of Dr. Pepper. He was so surprised and appreciative, and I saw him savoring every sip. And surprisingly, I was happy and glad inside. This incident reminds me that in our hardships, when we are reminded of our needs, it is in those times that we often clearly see God's grace in our lives through others blessing us in unique ways. I read now verses 35 to 40. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us in the prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. The Bible tells us the next day, the local authorities sent officers to release Paul and Silas from prison. However, Paul told the officers that they were Roman citizens and they were not given due process and illegally put into prison. Realizing their mistakes, the local authorities came to apologize to both Paul and Silas and asked them to leave the city of Philippi because the masters were probably still angry at them for casting out the demons from the slave girl. So after spending some more time with Lydia and her household and the Christian converts to encourage them, Paul and Silas left the city of Philippi to continue the gospel work. Through these challenges, the church in Philippi was started. And it's interesting that in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi years later, called Philippians, a major theme is finding joy amid suffering, reminding the people something the Apostle Paul experienced and knew well from his travels through that very city. My friends, as we live this life, We will encounter persecution trials suffering adversities and hardship but remember number one persecution and suffering will come to followers of jesus christ number two followers of jesus can be joyful while undergoing trials number three adversities often put us in unique situations where we can share jesus number four hardships allow us to experience god's grace through others. My friends, may we all find redemption and grace through our trials, and may we use the opportunities in our adversities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words, which remind us of some great truths. Perhaps some of us are going through times of difficulties and challenges, perhaps even persecution, and we may not understand why we're going through those things, But, Lord, give us the grace to make it through the day. Help us to undergo these sufferings and trials. But in our trials, Lord, help us to remain faithful, to use the opportunity to share the gospel with others. Help us to understand that in our lives we can still exhibit joy knowing that you journey with us and you are with us. And help us to understand that as we go through these trials, it is to better ourselves and to see that there's a greater work involved. Calm our hearts, Lord, and help us through these times. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.